living is giving. And that's the big radical change that we all have to realize is we don't live life once we are saved to get. In fact, God changes everything and that literally the whole purpose for us to live is to be like him. And what does he do? He gives. Uh, the first week, two weeks ago, we talked about that if you were to boil the whole Bible down to a subject and a verb, it would be the subject is God and the verb is that he gave. Yes, maybe you say, well, he loves. He, he is love. And because he is love, you know because you love your children, what do you automatically do? You give. For God so loved that he gave. We were born getters. We're, we're born, we have to teach our children how to share. We, it's not this natural thing that we just have children, and I don't know if anybody would go, yeah, my children, I just can't get them to stop giving their toys away to other kids. I just can't, I can't do it. We're born getters. But the Bible says that we are born again to be, to be givers. And it really is, it's a heart change. It's a, it's a heart issue. That instead of being, what can I get out of this? The Lord wants to set me free from myself to be, how can I be a blessing? How can I be a giver? And that's what God's desire is for his children. And I think most of us, that's our desire that we as parents want for our children is that they would learn to be a blessing for other people. We all know the verse. We even probably knew it before we were saved. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what God desires for all of his children, that we would be givers. Last week, we looked at the tithe and what the Bible says about the tithe and that it is a test. Now I want you to think about something. If God were to say to you, I promise you that if you learn to trust me in this area, I will bless you in such a way that you will receive more blessings than if you just held on to your money. And not only will I do that, but I will protect you. I will put my protection around you. I think all the time, how many times do you pray, Lord, I pray that you'd protect my children. I pray that you'd protect us as we travel. I pray that you'd protect. I pray that you'd... What if God said, I will protect you? I promise my protection. I promise my provision. I promise my protection. If God were to say, I promise you that, how many of you would jump into that boat? You don't need to raise your hand, but just think about it. If God were to speak that to you, would you jump into that boat? Well, he did. That's what we looked at last week. Malachi 3, 10 through 12. I just want to read it again because sometimes we need to remember God's promises. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. See, verse 10 there's the blessing, the promise of provision. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you. Verse 11 is the promise of protection. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast down their fruit. I will protect you. And, and I want you to know, the whole Bible is full of promises. Promise after promise. And to my knowledge, this is the only promise where God says, you can test me. In fact, come on do it. Test me. Just see. Just see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. There's a promise. And so last week we looked at the tithe and what the Bible says about it being sacred and holy and set apart and how if we pass this test of giving the tithe, we are blessed. It is a promise. And we looked at scripture after scripture. And if we fail the test, we're under a curse. There is a consequence for disobedience. 
And that's what we talked about last week. Well, this week we're going to look at another principle that I believe is one of the most important principles in Scripture. Maybe the most important principle. And I don't think anything in Scripture is uh, there just because. Have you guys ever had um, been in a conversation with someone where you are sharing a story, and as you're talking, you begin to think about something else that makes you think about something else, that makes you think about something else, that brings you to something else that has nothing to do with the first thing that you talked about? You ever experienced that? And so you begin to share it, and this is going on in people when they're talking to you, when you're going, why in the world are they telling me this? And all of a sudden they go, oh, I'm sorry about that. That was totally a tangent. We used to say it all the time. That's a tangent. You know, that, and you find yourself in this awkward situation because you're sharing something that really has nothing to do with the story, but in your mind it had something to do with the story. Do you think God does that? Do you think God has tangents? I don't. I think everything God has communicated to us, he communicates it to us with a purpose. Nothing in scripture is, uh, hey, that would be a really cool story to tell him. I think I'm going to tell him that story now. Every story in scripture, God ordained that it would be in there, and he knew it was going to be in there from the foundations of the world. Are you following what I'm saying? I believe that some of the most important stories that we will ever know, the most important defining truths and principles are in the very first several chapters of the Bible. For example, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where God tells us that he created everything. On six days, seventh day, he rested, but he created the moon, the stars, the, the waters, the earth. He created the plants. He created the animals. And he said it was what? All good. Then on the sixth day, he creates man and woman. He creates them in his image and in his likeness, and he says it is very good. See, one of the most important things you need to learn is that God is the creator. He is the creator of everything. Everything is held together by him. And you and I were made by him, and we are different than everything else. We are created in his image. We are given a spirit that we might have a relationship with him. And God made us to know him and dwell with him. That's really what Genesis 1 is all about. So, how do you think Satan attacks this most important principle? Creation. That's, you're crazy. This all just evolved over time. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. This is why this is such an important subject. Why God starts out this is because if there's no creator, you have no purpose. A dog is a rat is a pig is a boy. It's all the same. And so scripture starts out with this fundamental principle you need to understand. And so Satan attacks that. Okay, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that God created Adam. And then he gives him, gives him a, a, a task. And that was to what? to name all the animals. Now, I don't think this took a day or two. I think this took a period of time because there are a lot of animals in the world. He's seeing them, and as he's seeing them, he's naming them, but he's noticing, wait a minute, every single one has a, a male or female. There's, there's, there's these two things, and they go together. And he's looking around, and there's only one of him. Now, did God forget to create the female? No. God has a purpose for everything. Adam begins to see that he's lonely. He's experienced this. He's realizing there's something that he was created for. He doesn't know what it was for. He was created, and all these others have a helper. Others have a, a counterpart. And so after all this goes on, God puts Adam to sleep. He creates woman by taking a rib from Adam, from his side. Adam was naming the animals. He wakes up. He sees her and goes, whoa, man. And that's how 
she got her name. Not really. But, uh, <laughs> but God, Genesis 2, ordains marriage. So how does Satan attack this one? Okay. This is an area that we, in our world, this is why Satan attacks these areas. Okay. Because God has truth. God has principles. God created marriage to be between what? One man and one woman. And the Bible goes on to talk about it as being a covenant relationship. And so this is an area where Satan attacks. Okay, Genesis chapter 3. God has them dwelling in the garden. They are habitating with God. God is good. God has given them everything. And what does Satan do? He comes in and says, God's holding out on you. And he tells them, he lies to them and says, you'll be just like God if you eat of this tree. Guess what? They were already like God. They are deceived they eat. See, the issue was they didn't trust and obey God. Parents, how do you know your children love you? Not because they say, I love you. It's when they trust you at your word and they obey you. That's why when they say, because I said so, what they're saying is because I am your parents and I love you and God has put me as authority of your, in your life, you don't need to ask him. You show your love by trusting and obeying. And Adam and Eve, even though they had never heard a lie before, even though there was no sin in the world, they did not trust and obey God. They believed this word, and death came into the world. And so the Bible explains where sin came from and how we live in a fallen world. Well, how does Satan attack that? We're all inherently what? Good. And, and, and we don't need God. We can do it on our own. Which, by the way, that's another thing that Scripture tells us, is when they sin, guess what? They tried to cover themselves with what? Fig leaves. And God said, that won't work. So you know what he does in Genesis 3? He takes the skin of an animal and he covers them. And we have the very first animal sacrifice. God began the sacrificial system in Genesis chapter 3. Because you can't cover your sin, only God can. And Satan lies and says, no, you can't. I'm telling you, every single principle in Scripture is so important. So here we come to Genesis chapter 4. That's what we're going to look at today. If you want to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. And many might think this is a tangent. Oh, God just wants to throw out a, a, a story. No. Just like Genesis 1 was important, just like Genesis 2 is important, just like Genesis 3 is important, Genesis 4 is very important. And we're going to look at this principle today, all right? So we're in Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And what I'm going to do, I, I usually read out of the uh, English Standard Version, but I want to read this out of the New King James Version, just this uh, passage, okay? So Genesis chapter 4. Here we go. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, and when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. Okay, now you have a story here. And by the way, am I on? Okay. All right. Didn't sound like it. Here we go. So you have this story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. 
Bible stops telling these things, and, and you come to this story. And there are two brothers that the Bible says they are each bringing an offering unto the Lord. Now, apparently, Cain brought an offering that the Lord did not respect. Abel brought an offering that the Lord put favor upon. So Cain, when this takes place, he throws a fit. He pouts. He goes over and he sulks. And apparently he's meditating things in his heart. And so God comes to him like a father would come to a child who is pouting and goes, and this is how it would have been for me, sugar or sweetie, if you do what is right, will it not go well for you? So apparently Cain was doing something with his offering that wasn't right. And God knew what was going on in his heart because he was being disobedient to God. And so in his disobedience to God, he was getting ready to take something out on his brother. And so God says, listen, sin is crouching at your door. You better watch out. I'm warning you, and it wants to rule you. It wants to capture you. It wants you to fall to it, but don't let it. So, so the Lord is even is cautioning them. If you just do what is right, it's going to go okay. And instead of Cain repenting and coming to the Lord, it says that he, basically sin masters him, and he goes out and does what? He kills his brother Abel. Now listen, whatever's going on here is such a big deal that God, think about this, God is, foreknows everything, he's omniscient. It's such a big deal that he knows that Abel's righteousness and him confronting Cain's evil deeds, which is what it says, is that it was going to cost Abel his life. So God didn't go, well, well, I'm not going to get into that issue because I know what's going to happen. It's such a big deal that God still allows us to, to go forth and Abel ends up dying, the very first murder we have in Scripture. All right, and so what I want to talk to you about today is this principle that the Bible teaches, and I'm going to show you it's all throughout Scripture. And it's a principle that Abel was following, but it wasn't a principle that Cain was following. Okay, we know that Abel was a, a rancher, or he was a, a shepherd because he had sheep. We know that Cain was a farmer because he had fruit, he had crops. Now, we know that there's something that, about their offering that one of them was doing that the other one was not doing. All right? We know that Cain, it says, that in the process of time, maybe it was at the end of set days, is it, that, that's kind of the translation in Hebrew, that at the end of the set days, they brought their offering. Uh, how, many, how many days was this? Uh, maybe it was uh, the end of set days was a week or a couple weeks, or maybe it was a season. Evidently, they both knew they were taught by their parents they were to bring an offering, but one was doing it right, one was doing it wrong. We know that Cain brought some of the portion of his offering to the Lord over a course of time, but it says there's a little difference. It says that Abel brought fat portions from his firstborn. And so we're, I'm going to show you a principle in scripture. It's the principle of first fruits and the principle of firstborn, okay? And the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to show you there's two types of givers, and I'm, going to, uh, and I'm going to give you the heart of Cain and the heart of Abel. So number one is the heart of Cain. And you're going to see that this is the heart 
that is led by circumstances. And of course, I'm talking about giving, but this also is just in my walk with the Lord and everything. Is am I a person that is led by my circumstances? Or is it a person, and I'll go ahead and give you the second one. The second one's going to be the heart of Abel. Am I a person that's led by my faith? Led by circumstances or led by faith? And the heart of Cain, you're going to see he was a man. He was led by his circumstances. Okay? Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Here's the principle. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Here's the principle. Okay? Cain, as a farmer was supposed to bring the best of the first fruit of his soil to the house of the Lord his God. Now here's the thing about uh, fruit. When you plant, do you get all of your crop? Does it all come in at the exact same time? No, it doesn't. You get a little bit at a time. You get these little seasons. Some grows. You pick it, more grows. Now, you don't know what the weather's going to be like. You don't know if we're going to have an early frost. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how much you're going to get. And God says, listen, you trust me with all that. This is what you do. You bring the best of the first fruit. So whatever you got at the beginning, not knowing what's going to come, you bring that to me. And you leave the rest up to the Lord as far as whatever's going to happen. This is the command. And it says that Cain brought some of the portion after a set process of time. Okay, now for us, what is our soil? Our soil is whatever our livelihood is. Whatever it is that we get as our provision, that is our soil, our income. And God says, whatever it is, you bring the first to me. And you trust the rest to me. And of course you're going, well, and we talked about last week how that was set at 10%. And of course you go, well, how in the world can I live off 90%? I, I mean, I can barely do 100%. If you knew us, we're not doing 100%. So now you want me to do 90%. I don't. That's what the Lord says. The Lord says you bring the best of the first fruit to me and you bring it into my house. And Cain didn't do that. Okay? In fact, look at this. And, and the Bible even warns us, don't be like Cain. Look at 1 John verse 3, verse 11 through 12. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Okay, so the Bible's describing Cain's offering as evil and he's describing Abel's offering as righteous. And all the way in the New Testament, this is at the end of the Bible, it's saying, don't be like Cain. Don't be like his deeds. Because what Cain was doing was he was trying to, based on his circumstance, go, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this how I want to do it, when I, when I want to do it, and uh, in my manner. And God said, no, you're not going to do it. So even though he brought an offering, God didn't respect it. And so when he comes to him and says, if you do well, do it the way you're supposed to do it, it'll be fine. Cain wouldn't do that. And so instead, because uh, when you walk in disobedience, you live a miserable life, what did he do? He went and you know, kill, killed his brother. I mean, how many, you know, I have four children, and I can tell you there's been one or two times where uh, someone has done something, and they get in trouble for it. And about three or four minutes later, we will he hear a squeal and a cry from the littlest one in the household. 
And the reason why is because big brother or big sister, in being upset, went and took it out on little brother, right? Because instead of having a tender heart repenting when, they, when they've been instructed, in their miserableness and in their angry heart, what do they do? They go take it out on the child, and then a few minutes later you hear the dog yelping because the baby just pulled the, the dog's hair, okay? Look, look at this. This is what the Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. See, when you walk in disobedience, you can't have a right relationship with the Lord. I really like the way the New Living Translation says it. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. I, I can tell you, I've grown up in church my whole life. That's why I believe some of the angriest, most miserable people in the world are people that call themselves Christians because they're walking in disobedience and they can't experience any peace or joy. That's why growing up my whole life, I always heard this little phrase, there's no substitute for obedience. All right, Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And here's the promise. God always has a promise whenever he talks about giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And you might be going, well, I don't have any barns. I don't have, okay. It's whatever it is that you do, whatever your soil is, God's promises is if you bring the first fruit to me, if you honor me with this, and honoring me is not bringing what's left over. And I'm gonna show you in a little bit why God literally cannot accept anything that's not first. I'm going to show you that. He, he can't do it. It's immutable, immutably impossible for him to do it. But if you will honor me with this, just test me and see, and I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven for you. Now, uh, many times, uh, uh, we'll go, well, you know, Lord, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. But you got to understand, I've, I've got a car payment. I've got a mortgage payment. I uh, have groceries still to buy, and, um, you know, little Johnny, his, his, uh, his teeth are getting really, you know, gangly, and, and we're going to have to get some, some braces here pretty soon, and, and, you know, I can tell my transmission's about ready to go out. I, I've, I need to wait and make sure that all this stuff plays out, and then, and then if I have some left over, I'll bring it to the Lord. Understand, that's the heart of Cain. That's a heart that is led by circumstances. And God says, that's not how it works. That's the, that's the heart of Cain, okay? Let me show you the heart of Abel. The heart of Abel. Hebrews 11, verse 4. This Hebrews 11, of course, is the, the faith chapter, but it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. What the Bible is saying is that even though Abel's dead, he's been dead for almost 6,000 years, around there, he's still speaking. His faith, his righteous deed, it's still speaking today. And the reason why was because Abel was being led by faith. And it says in Genesis chapter 4 that what did he bring? He brought fat from the firstborn. Now, if you're bringing fat from the firstborn, what has happened to that firstborn? It is now gone. It's dead. They didn't have liposuction back then. Okay? You can't, the only way you can get the fat is the sheep is dead. 
And if you're giving your firstborn, that means you're still waiting to see how much of the flock you're going to get, right? This is the principle. And Abel did it. Let, let me show you the principle of the firstborn in Exodus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Now, why would you need to do that? Because a donkey is considered what? An unclean animal. So you have to redeem, redeem it with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, if you don't redeem it, you will break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So here's the question. How do you redeem something? You give the first to the Lord. How am I supposed to redeem my day? By giving the first of it to the Lord. As Christians, the Lord resurrected on this day. That's why we call it the Lord's Day. But why do we come together on the first day of the week? Because we're giving him our first. We're wanting him to redeem the rest. Okay. How do I redeem my finances? I give the first of it to the Lord. See, let me give you the worst case scenario. You're in debt, and you just lost your job, and you've just gotten your last paycheck. What should you do? Well, A, you want that to go as far as possible, right? Okay? You want the Lord to honor you as you try to get out of debt, right? Yes. You want his blessing upon that last check. Then you better give the first of it to the Lord. Because listen to me, he can take it further the 90% that's left over as you trust him at the first, he will take it further than you can with the part that is cursed. See, the Bible describes it this way. Look at this in, in Haggai uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 6. Look at this. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This was the description of the curse that they were going through because they were not trusting the Lord. This is what the consequence is. And, and what the Bible is saying is, listen, you trust me. And it's like we talked about last week. When we bring our tithe, what does it say in Hebrews? Who are we giving our tithe to? We're giving it to Jesus and we're declaring that he is the living one. We are no longer in this economy. We are now living under God's economy. He is my provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who foresees all of my needs. And it is a safe and wonderful place to be where I get protection and provision. And God says it does it when you honor your wealth and you bring your first to him. Okay? Now, so Abel brings his firstborn. Cain doesn't. God accepts Abel's, he doesn't accept Cain. And of course, it says that Cain was offended. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but do you think maybe God was offended? God was offended. That was the issue. It wasn't that Cain was offended. It was that God was offended. And why in the world would God be offended? I mean, hello, he's bringing an offering. What's the big deal? Now, let me show you. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who's the firstborn? Jesus. 
Jesus is the firstborn. Okay, look at 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Who's the first fruit? Jesus. So Jesus is the firstborn, and he is the first fruit. Cain is bringing an offering to the Lord that represents Jesus. And God says, I can't accept it. Because you're bringing it based off your circumstances and not in faith. Okay? What does it say about Abraham? That he was God's friend because of what? Faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Trusting him. Can God take care of me? Or am I going to figure this out on my own? Let me show you another verse. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now that word preeminence, it's, and I, I read this from the King James, it's the only time this word is used in Scripture. Okay? Eminence means highest in rank, honor, and power. All right? Now, when we put the prefix on the front of a word, pre, what does that mean? It means before. But in Greek, the word means first. So literally what it is saying is, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the highest in rank. He is the first and highest in rank, power, and glory, and honor. All right, now that you know that, let me give you another verse. And this won't be up there, but John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his first and highest rank, honor, and power. He gave that. And so listen to me, because that's who he is, he cannot accept anything that is less than what represents him. That's why for me even to be saved, listen to me, I'm going to show you. Scripturally, the only way to be saved is that I give him my first. I'm going to say this a little differently because most of us, yes, we know that he's supposed to be the Lord, but we don't sometimes capture that because we haven't grown up living with what it looks like to have lords and have servants and realize we have no rights. Okay? Let let me show you this. Some of you guys have seen me do this illustration with compartments before, but... Um, This isn't my lunch, by the way. But let's say, okay, uh, this right here is uh, my life. Okay, this represents my life right here. All right, this is my life. Okay, now, we, we have in our lives all kinds of plates that we try to, to hold up, right? You know, I said, man, right now I just feel like I'm trying to spin so many plates. And, uh, or try to carry so many plates. Eventually something's going to fall. And so in our lives, uh, we have these different plates, and they are represented by uh, our family, okay? There's so much that goes on in our family life, uh, taking care of our, our family, taking care of our children, all their needs. A big portion of what we do fills up in this area of family, okay? And that is just one plate in my life that I try to handle, okay? Now, a lot of us probably... A big consuming part of our life is work, okay? I mean, it, it's what we're thinking about all the time. It is a, an all-consuming part of our life because that's how we get our livelihood, or as we think. That's where, that's where we get our provision, 
okay? Now, this is the area that God has given us that he's going to bless us through, okay? It's where he's given us the ability to, provi- to provide, but this right here is a big plate in our lives, okay? So we have that in our life as well, all right? Then, of course, after family and work and all that kind of stuff, we also have our friendships, all right? This is another area in our life, and who we're going to get together with on Friday, and you know, Christmas is coming up. We've got to start putting our Christmas list together and who we're going to buy for and who's not going to make the list this year and stuff like that. For those of you that are not in work, okay, you have school. Okay, and God bless some of you guys. You guys are working and going back to school. So you have both those plates. All right? We have all those things. And then, of course, there's money. Okay? Um, money issues. Things that are costing money. Anything in your life that, you, that, that, man, you think money when it comes to that, whether it's improvements or things that need to be taken care of or what's coming in, what's going out, money is a big part of your life, okay? Then, of course, you've got hobbies. You've got the things that you like to do when you're not carrying any of these other plates. And I'm sure there are some people out today that are deer hunting because that is their hobby, all right? But we have hobbies, all right? Now, by the way, are any of these things bad? No. No, they're not. But these are just plates that are in our life. All right? Now, there's also another area that we have in our life, and those are the things that people don't know about. They're secrets. And usually, and I'm doing this a little different, but usually these plates, we don't mix them together. All right? I'm putting them in here because of space. But it's like they're these little areas of our life. I've got these different plates, and they don't, some of them don't have anything to do with each other. But they're just parts of my life, okay? Now, all of you that are here today, you have this right here, right? You have church. That's a part of your life. And all these things, they're a part of your life. And at some point, hopefully, this is what you're thinking and what you're thinking about other people is at some point, hopefully, every single one of us have prayed the prayer and we've asked Jesus to come into our life. And so now Jesus is in our life and this is what we believe the Christian life is. Jesus has become another plate or he's become another compartment. And this is my life and I've got all these things that are going on and I'm trying, I'm trying amongst work, I'm trying to hold up this plate called church and that stuff and I'm trying to do the money thing and I'm trying to do the family thing and I've got these plates and I'm still trying to do it. And that is not scriptural following Christ. That's not what it is. And so when I'm even talking about that he is the first and highest rank honor and power and glory, I was trying to think, what would be a great analogy of, the, of this? And, and for some reason this morning, you know, as I was driving, just the, I got this idea of a trophy. Because who's the person that wins the trophy? The person who wins first place. No one, no one talks about the person that wins second place, right? Because... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter after this year that the, 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 the Detroit Tigers did anything special because after this year, what does anybody remember? Only that the San Francisco Giants got first. And because they got first, whose name is on the trophy? The San Francisco Giants. See, Jesus died on the cross. We even sang it earlier, and Jesus won me. He redeemed me. He bought me. Okay? And so this is what the Christian life is, is there's a point in my life where I realized it's always been about me. It was my life, and I had all these plates that I was carrying. And coming to Jesus is I surrender all. And so instead of it being my life, it is now 
Jesus' life. And so guess what that means? All those plates inside there, they're ruled by him because he has first and highest rank, honor, and power. The Bible even says in, in Philippians that at his name, every knee and bow, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord because his name will be lifted up and it is above every name. That means his name is above your name in your life. And the principle is that he will not and cannot take anything else that is first. And so really scripturally, to be scripturally saved, I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches for you to come into salvation is you make him the first. See, we all know what it's like in different times of our life where our job, we felt like, has had to come first and how that defines everything else. We know when we've, just, when we've come to a point of a realizing, oh, I need to make my marriage first. And what you're saying is that means that that needs to define the other things that you do. See, to be a Christ follower means I've come to the point where he is first. And he defines everything else in my life, including my finances. It's like I said last week, this is God's economy. God says, are you going to trust me? Are you going to be led by your circumstances? Or are you going to be led by faith? And that's what it all boils down to. God looked at Abel, and Abel, his heart was filled with faith, and so he brought the firstborn. Cain brought an offering that represented the firstborn, the first fruit represented Jesus, but he brought it based off his circumstances, what he could do at the time. The Bible says to examine your heart. Do you have the heart of Cain or the heart of Abel? And the Bible says in, in Hebrews 11, it's the heart of Abel that still speaks today. Okay, let's pray. If you would want to move to your knees, if you can't because you have bad knees, you can sit there, but just in an attitude of your heart, of just humbling yourself before the Lord, to say, Lord, I come to you and I hear this, but I am afraid. Listen, the moment you say that, you know that what's battling you is the enemy because God never works in fear. Fear always comes from the enemy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to see that a biblical faith is not a faith that is based off my circumstances and what I can figure out. All the way through Scripture, it is trusting you at your word, trusting and obeying you. If you promise it, you promise you never change, you're faithful and true, we can trust you at your word. If we can trust you with our eternity, we can trust you with our here and now. And our finances is so much wrapped up in what we see as here and now. Father, your desire is that we would be set free to just have a heart to be a giver. 
but you also promise that you are the giver, so you just bless and bless and bless. But this boils down to, are we trusting you in faith, or are we living by our circumstances and what we can see and what we can rationalize? And Lord, I pray that you would just set us free in this area. Father, I pray for anybody that's here this morning that they would say, I have, I have prayed a prayer and, and I've kind of put Jesus in my heart and I feel like he's like a part of my life, but I have not made him my life. He is not first. And if that is you, I just encourage you to in your heart right now say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of living my life for me. I need you to forgive me. I repent. And I make you first. You are in control of everything. I surrender my life to you. And now will you define everything else? And if you did that, that's what the Bible says is biblical salvation. Lord, allow us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, so that we would not be easily deceived. We love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.